Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Just a quick warning to say the following episode does contain some strong language, which some listeners may find offensive. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to You Really Shouldn't Have with me, James Warwick. The podcast where each week I sit down with a different guest as we discuss their career and unwrap a story behind the worst gift they've ever been given. Now, for anyone that knows me personally, the topic of this week's show, it's all about minimalism and decluttering. And I'm quite guilty, as you'll hear during this episode, of not being very tidy. I've got to be honest with you. My guest this week is author, speaker and coach Chris Lovett, who uh, has a new book, The Discovery of Less, How I Found Everything I Wanted Underneath Everything I Own. It tells his journey of how he let go of a lot of his possessions and completely decluttered his life and the effect that it had on him and the journey he went on throughout it. It's a fantastic read. It's a great story, as you'll hear throughout the interview. And of course, he also lets me in on the worst gift he's ever been given. Chris, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. James, it's a pleasure, mate. I've been looking forward to this for ages. Well, I've been looking forward to this as well. And we're here to talk today all about minimalism and decluttering, which is the subject of your new book, uh, Discovery of Less, How I Found Everything I Wanted Underneath Everything I Owned. And I really enjoyed reading this one. Thank you for sending me a copy. And you're talking to somebody, Chris, that doesn't do a lot of reading. And it is a very easy read. Very, very funny in places. Lots of great anecdotes in there. But we'll get back to the book. But I wanted to start by simply asking, what prompted you to, to drastically declutter your life? <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, well, I, I kind of described it as this Basil Forty moment. Um, <laughs> and I love kind of using that analogy because probably we all, all go back to the time where he gives the car a damn good thrashing. Yes. <laughs> right. And for anyone who's not seen that, just YouTube it. Um, it's hilarious. And, you know, over, you know, during our lives, we all have certain little events that really get on our nerves. And sometimes those small events start to stack up. And then one day you just lose it. You've had enough. You know, those, those events can be comical or they can be quite serious. And I suppose we've, decluttering a lot of people that I speak to they go through some kind of trauma or some kind of life event that makes them kind of have a look at their values you know look at their life and go I think I'm gonna have a little bit of a change here and that's what happened to me but mine was a little bit of a mixture of comical and really annoying stress and mental health and trauma and things like that so it was a little bit like I was you know overworked at work um stressed with stuff that was out of my control like southern rail or southern fail when i was trying to commute to and from work and then just trying to tidy up and things like that and stepping on a broken cd case and then almost turning into the incredible hulk and going right and and then um, yeah and then almost going like something needs to change in order to make a change i started to declutter because the physical stuff was getting in the way and it was actually causing me physical pain (laughs) and underneath all of that was why because I wanted to go traveling and I had this aspiration to take some time away from work and see the world a little bit you know I was in my mid-30s at the time and I hadn't really done anything for my life you know it was all right you know I'd got a job I'd got the security and safety of a car and a a partner and a home and all the things you're supposed to collect in life right that says you're successful and I had all of these things plus a load of stuff and I was just 
bored and miserable. And I was like, well, having more stuff, you're supposed to be happier. And so I, I had this these aspirations to go traveling, but didn't have any money, had loads of debt. And so one day I just thought, right, after stepping on the CD case and causing my foot to bleed, I um, started to sell off some DVDs purely just to earn a little bit of money and to make some room on the shelf because there was stuff on the floor. And I thought, if I can just get rid of these like dozen DVDs or something, and I create a little bit of space on the shelf and I can put these crappy DVDs on the shelf so I don't injure myself again. <laughs> so I just got Music Magpie and started scanning realized that I couldn't sell anything below a fiver so I had to sell more scouring around my flat and I just got obsessed you know I started to see the pound signs in my eyes and I started to feel the connection with all of my old crap you know the CDs that I never listened to the DVDs that I never watched but clung on to for for dear life and uh, yeah and I just ended up selling off a load of stuff and then it just almost escalated from there James. And what interested me from reading the book is you went through this whole process, but never really knew that the word minimalism was the word for it until you saw a Netflix documentary, right, during your travels. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. I just, I, I was doing some activity. I didn't know the names or the meaning behind it until I saw, yeah, minimalism documentary on Netflix by the minimalists and I was in Vietnam. And it was almost a bit like they were talking to me. They were basically saying everything that you've been doing over the last year or so it's got a name. And I was like, shit. Wow. Okay. I looked down and, you know, my bag was half full from what it was a few months prior. You know, I'd had, I've got no home. I've got no car. <laughs> I took a career break, but I almost kind of made that decision while I was in Vietnam. I didn't want to go back and want to do something else. So it was almost a bit like I literally hit the reset button on my life. And when people listen to this, James, people are going, but why? It's so disruptive. Why would you bother going through all of that hassle? But until you start kind of decluttering your old life and just restarting to design a new life, you then understand that oh, I, can, I can live and I can thrive and succeed with so much less than I actually thought I could. And, um, and yeah, so now I kind of live and work with a minimalist mindset. So I almost go, does this thing add value to my life? And if it doesn't, why bother doing it or why bother buying it? Was there any point, though, during the, the, the first stages where you say, you know, you mentioned there that the car's gone, the house has gone. Was there any point where you thought, shit, I've probably gone a bit too deep with this? I was waiting for it. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting for the guilt. I was waiting for the, the FOMO to come back. And I, and funny enough, mate, nothing, nothing appeared. Well, that's good. Nothing I mean, appeared. That's good, isn't it? I mean, at least you didn't have any major regrets which is good and, and the book certainly illustrates that something you mentioned in the book that i wanted to bring up was the term comfort zone and i think everybody yeah. is guilty of falling into that comfort zone trap i i thought back myself to i moved uh moved house beginning of last year and me and my partner moved out of our respective parents homes and we had a lot of stuff in our houses and it was suddenly like we're going to go from two separate houses to this one house and we're going to try and get everything in the house so you, yeah. mean, you mentioned the CDs again, and I used to do a lot of DJing back in the day, and I probably had... Me too. Yeah, I probably had like well over a thousand CDs in these big floor-to-ceiling racks in my room. And I, I'd never I'd never played any of them for about five years because everything has gone digital. <laughs> so I just sort of yes. sat there, and I remember my partner saying, well, what are we gonna, where are you going to put these CDs when we move? And I thought, well, that, that's a good question. So like you, I went on to Music Magpie as well. And it is depressing when you're scanning things that you paid, yeah. say, fifteen ninety nine for back in 2004. And it's like 6p. Um, but, yeah. you know, all, all those 6p's, they add up. 
Um, and yeah, you know, I, I probably, I mean, it's, I don't want to think about how much retail price I paid for all of it. I mean, I, I got like 80 quid back, but I mean, it, it was a big loss on what I, what I paid for it all. But I think I had a lot of fear of letting go of all of those CDs because obviously those CDs, they were memories. Like, oh, I remember playing this gig and that song was huge. Or I remember picking that CD up in a record store in America. Oh, I can't let yeah. go of that. That that might be worth something. Like, I did, I've never seen that CD in the UK before. So I think that comfort zone of, oh, no, but these are my CDs. Like, I've always had these CDs and it's like part of my identity is, oh, you know, James... James used to DJ. It's what people will say. James used to. DJ. I don't DJ anymore, but I think I was holding on to it. Like, oh, if I still have all of the records, people might take me seriously as you know, a DJ still. Yeah. How did you find breaking that cycle? Because I'm sure you fell into the same comfort zone with many of your possessions. Oh, James, that whole story resonates massively. <laughs> <laughs> that because having a label as a as a DJ is cool, right? For sure, for sure. <laughs> so why would why would we choose to let go of that label? because it's associated with, oh, okay, yeah, he spins records, man. That's quite cool. And yeah, I had all the equipment, all the wires, all the... I, I transitioned from vinyls to CDs to digital. So I went through all of that process, having loads of vinyls, then having loads of CDs, then having loads of USB sticks all over the place. I'm, I'm sure you did the same thing as me as well, which is you went from CD to digital and vinyl, and then you went, oh, I better go and buy all of the stuff I have on digital on vinyl again, because... Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because it, because that's what yeah, happened. Yeah. Everyone did that. We ended up going back and buying all the stuff on vinyl that we already owned on CD and and digital. You know, just because. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I did. I went for, I went to record shops in Brighton. I lived in Brighton for a bit, and I went to record shops and I would buy. I bought Linkin Park Hybrid Theory on vinyl after I had the the CD plus the the live tour plus the DVD and obviously the download on iTunes, and um, that almost cemented my status as a super fan. Oh yeah, because you have to have all of it to be a fan. You can't possibly be oh, a fan course. with just a digital version. No, of course not. That's right. You can't just go to a gig and you know, compare. Well, you're not wearing your Linkin Park t-shirt. <laughs> what type of fan are you? Um, but yeah, I did it all. I had like Marvin Gaye, um, What's Going On, Charlotte Dynamite. Like all of these, uh, Lauren Hill was another one, Miseducation. I had all of these things on multiple formats. And um, going back to what you were saying, James, about our relationship with stuff and ownership, because we put so much value maybe not monetary value, but, you know, uh, you know, per personal value on our stuff because they are ours. And so therefore it's difficult to let go and give them to someone else. So when you see that really depressing music magpie figure come up 6p, you almost get downheartened and you think, well, what's the point? Yeah. But we, we, what we don't see is the, the hidden costs of keeping stuff. So, you know, what I've, what I've found is after I got rid of all the music that I wasn't listening to, that's, and that's the key thing. I always found that stuff that I wasn't using, but I'd keep the stuff that I loved it and I was using. So um, the stuff that I wasn't using, I made available to someone else who could listen to it. So rather than another thing being created in the world, another thing being manufactured and shipped and things like that, I can I can give my thing that I'm not using to someone else to really enjoy and to love. And it's almost like I get satisfaction out of knowing that someone else is listening to the thing that I almost rejected. Mm. Um, funnily enough, I've got two things being collected today. So I'm, at my, I'm currently at my folks' place and I found another guitar that they were hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to them, what are you going to do with this guitar? And they're like, well, you know, memories. I was like, no, we can't use that excuse anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not now he's got a book. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I put it on eBay 
and it, it sold for 50 pounds and i know because i've been chatting to the buyer and i know that that guitar is going to get a lot of love That's so good. from being in a on the top of a wardrobe collecting dust that guitar is going to be played it's going to be loved it's going to be used and he's got a bargain and i've got a little bit of money back and everybody wins now, I'm excited for this next bit because you told me you've got a lot of material because we have reached the part of the show where I have to ask you, what is the worst gift you've ever been given? Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> um, I'm, going, I'm going to need your help on this one, James. because So what I did is I went out to my friends and I also went out to uh, some Facebook groups. So I'm in a couple of decluttering Facebook groups and I asked the question, have you ever received the gift that you thought, what the fuck? Why on earth are you giving me this? And it got over 1,300 comments. I saw you've been posting on Facebook and on Twitter because you mentioned something to me earlier. when We were meant to do this a couple of months back. I mean, I had to change when we did it. And you said, oh, I've been, I've been speaking to some people. And I thought, has he? And I went onto social <laughs> media and I thought, oh, shit, he has been talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I thought, I've, I live in a life of less now, James. So... I don't have a lot of stuff left anymore. Do people still buy you gifts now? Like when, when it's your birthday now, what's the, what's the general mantra now? Because I guess their worry is if I give Chris something, he's just going to give it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a, that's a good point, yeah. Um, well, it was my birthday last month. And so, but what it's rather than be surprised, I generally have a few things that I need. So, for example, uh, pants. <laughs> nice. You never have, a, never yeah. have too many pants. Yeah, you know, right. And, and I'm a, you know, I walk a lot, so I burn through loads of socks. So, yeah, socks and pants. It sounds like a really shit and boring gift, but those are the stuff I needed. Plus, I needed a few jumpers and a few shirts. So I got some clothes. Um, but I always make sure that everything that comes in, I then take out um, because I only have a set amount of hangers. I hate hangers because they get all tangled up and yeah. yeah. And so if I get a new shirt or something, then it forces me to donate something else and so i don't get a lot of physical stuff i get a lot of experiences so i get a lot of just eat vouchers for some reason um and uh trips to you know a nas- national trust or events gigs things like that so that's what i've kind of emphasized for people but um over 1300 comments from a facebook group when i just asked the question incredible a while back so some of these are are related to me some of them are not so i'm going to go down this list right and we can right so my friend um carly she won't mind me naming her because she was the one who i've written about her in the book at the very very back i'll give her a nice thing and she was the one that almost triggered me to start talking about my story she has um some stories to tell herself in regards to gifts so when she was a lot younger and we were we were hanging out she, you know what she had a boyfriend and the boyfriend took her for Valentine's Day to a scrapyard and bought her a car door. <laughs> that was that was Valentine's Day. Her birthday was shortly after that. And I'm thinking, oh, how is he how is he gonna top car door? Because that's pretty impressive. And so he walked into her house and for her birthday gave her a plastic bag full of porn, no. magazines, no. DVDs. Um, and her, her mum and dad were there and um <laughs> So she looked in the bag and closed the bag and ran straight upstairs. And her mum was like, "Oh, what did what did um what did so so get you?" And she went, "Um, a jumper." <laughs> <laughs> so she retrieved this jumper that she bought herself a couple of days before and then brought it back down. So um, 
I had to mention the bag of porn and the car door. Subsequently, years later, bless her, Carly was, although she was had been a victim, shall we say, of, uh, <laughs> of a bad uh, gifts, of a bad gifts, um, turned it around, and maybe subconsciously gave uh, <laughs> an interesting gift to another one of my mates. And so, a few years ago, we were really into buying Christmas gifts for all of our friends. Probably had a little bit of surplus cash while some of us are still living at home and she bought me and another mate a tour of Wembley which was amazing right so that's the level we're talking about here but my other best mate who she knew had quite bad motion sickness she bought him an hour of zorbing (laughs) (laughs) oh that's good good. Uh, I'm assuming he didn't go on the experience or did he no, he didn't. Um, but he only reminded me about that last week. And so I'm really thankful for him to have done that because that was. <laughs> but um, I, want to, I want to go back to the car door quickly. What did she do with the car door? What happened to the car door? I don't really know the full story. I know that she. Someone had dented her car door. And so the guy that she was one. with at that time maybe thought that as a really nice thing, I'm going to get a replacement car door for you. But actually, took her on a date to the scrap. And I'd love it if the door was a different colour to the rest of the car. Like you just picked some random blue door for like a silver car. That would have been great. Like in the in-betweeners. Yes, yes, yes. The yellow <laughs> car with the red door. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they're, they're the ones that are close. They're very close to my heart. I've had gifts had to myself. Um, again, not shit at the time. Really good at the time. But you look back on them and you're going, what on earth? Um, I've had a cardboard cutout of Brian from Family Guy. There's got to be a story behind this. That someone doesn't get bought that randomly. Just, a, just, a, I was just a big fan of Family Guy, and um, <laughs> and you know, we were at that in that period where we were just kind of we were buying fun things for each other just to see what the other person's reaction was. <laughs> like spending sixty, seventy quid just to see what their reaction was. It was a bit mad. Um, so that was fun when opening it, right? And on, but that was at the point where I was in, I was living the flat on my own in a bachelor pad <clears throat> trying to impress girls so I'd have girls come back and they would see this Brian <laughs> cobble cut out of a dog in the corner and I'm like how old are you um uh, secret santa that's another one so I was probably guilty of buying something that I thought was really good called wine condoms so you know when you, pr- when you cork the wine yeah you need something to keep the, the top covered and there was just it was like rubbery bits no. and someone was really and someone was really offended by that and i didn't realize and so obviously like, it was secret santa and we were all so in, you got in away the with office that one yeah you got away with i that did one. get i did she was so outraged by it and i joined her in the outrage i went it's disgusting who do that <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and uh, there was a couple of people off on holiday at the time, I remember, and I just blamed them. Brilliant. Um, I, hope she, I hope she hears this. I hope she hears this now years later and goes, ah, oh, Chris, it was him. It was him all along. It was him. It was him. Um, I hope she doesn't have them still. I hope she's decluttered the wine condoms. But yeah, here's a list from, from Facebook groups and uh, was so nice in, in sharing some of these stories. So again, this is from across the world, James. Slippers with a penis on the end. Wow. Okay, that's new. I haven't had that one before. Sprayed gold. That's the kicker. You say, why do the, why do the slips with the penis in the first place? But why then go, let's spray these gold? I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know, right? Um, expired chocolates. 
chapstick. Uh, everyone's been guilty of the expired chocolate thing. I'm I'm pr- I'm pretty sure I've regifted a box of chocolate that was past its sell by date to someone. Yeah, but I mean, that's honestly, done. List- it's like you know, you're in a panic. You're like, oh, we better we're going to so and so's house for dinner. We better take something. Oh, there's that old box of milk tray we never opened. Let's just grab that. I've done that. I don't. No, yeah. no that's all right. I've done that. Is that all right? Okay, that that, that part that's a pass on, on your uh, chapstick, which I thought you know can come in quite useful. If you give someone chapstick, <laughs> that's that's surely sending a message to them. Like you, you need this. Yeah, and the fact that probably someone's waited until a, an event like a birthday or Christmas to give you the chapstick. Like I could have given you this at any time, but I'm going to make it a special occasion to give you a chapstick. Um, but yeah, there's probably loads of hidden meaning underneath that. A dust mop. Um, and then shortly after that, the marriage ended. <laughs> um, I like this one. An axe. Like a proper full-on axe. <laughs> a knife and fork. Just one. Just, just one pair. Pre-played scratch card with no win. No. So it would have been scratched off. That's awful. Because you can get those joke ones, can't you? Where you scratch it off and it makes out you've won like a million quid. But it's fake. When you ring the number, it's fake. Is that... Is that a thing? Oh, that's the thing. You can buy those on the internet. I haven't bought one for myself, but you can buy those on the internet. They look like legit scratch cards, and you scratch it off, and it makes out like you've won a million. But then when you call, oh, the, when you take it to the shop or call the number on the back, you quickly find out it's fake. Where's the line between joke and just her horrible experience? Um, I can only think how that how that played out. That pre-scratched scratch card is like, well, I've done all the, I've made the effort for you. I just thought I'd show you yeah, that you didn't win I scratched it for you to save you some time. Yeah. Save you say I saved you the time and the hassle and the little shiny bits that come off. I do, do you wonder if they'd scratched it and it had won? They'd have gone and cashed it in for them and just given them the cash. Like if they'd scratched it off and they'd won two pounds, they'd have gone and cashed in the two pounds and just given them the two pounds instead of the scratch card. So hopefully that that will uh, appease the listeners <laughs> in regards to a few things that have dropped in my radar recently. You've got some fantastic stories there. That's a wonderful selection of bad quips. <laughs> Another phrase that I picked up on in the book is a favourite of yours, just in case. And I'm very guilty. <laughs> I'm very guilty, Chris, of, of just in case. I, let me give you a story here. So... When we moved, I obviously got rid of all the CDs, but the one thing I wouldn't let go of was my DVD collection. I'm very proud of my DVD collection. And, and I'm reading, I was reading your book, right? And I'm going, I'm this guy's worst nightmare. Uh, let, <laughs> let, let, I'm, I'm in a full confession here. And I, I feel kind of embarrassed telling this story, but you know. Go for it, mate. Go for it. My idea of, oh, declutter and like, oh, let's make sure the DVDs don't take up as much room is I got those big soft pack things and I took all of the discs, yeah, out of yeah, the boxes yeah. and then I put the boxes, this is this is the best bit, the empty boxes in a big cardboard box, which is in my loft. <laughs> so in my loft, I have a huge like cardboard moving box full of DVD cases and all the discs are downstairs. How many times have I watched DVDs since I've moved here, like a year and a half ago? Once. I have only ever watched one DVD out of the hundreds that are sat what in our living room. What was it? What was it? That's a good question. I can't even remember. Because I was remember... it a comedy or like a horror film? Probably. Probably a comedy. But I remember when it was, it was the night we moved in here. Um, because the, the, the TV, uh, we didn't have an aerial and the satellite wasn't being connected for a week. So we had like, no, we couldn't watch anything. So I think we just picked a DVD the night we moved in. But since then we watched nothing. 
We watched absolutely nothing. As soon as the internet got connected and we had Netflix back and we had Skybox and Amazon Prime and all the rest of it. No, the DVDs, they've sat in the cupboard in the soft pack. And so I'm, safe though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I need to probably get the boxes down and, and go back on Music Magpie and probably just, you know, settle with my 30 quid because they're just <laughs> taking up a lot of room. I mean, yesterday we were sorting out the house and um, my partner Gemma, she said, what are we doing with all these DVDs? <laughs> And I knew I was speaking to you today, and I was like, "Oh God, I've got to talk to Chris about this." Yeah, just say, Jim, I hold yeah, that yeah, thought. Hold that thought for twenty-four more hours, and I will have an answer. <laughs> but around the just in case, that must be a nostalgia thing that a lot of people have. And you, you must have had that as well during your decluttering state in the early stages. Yeah, hundred percent, James. Yeah, I, I, that, and that's only when I found out that the danger of those free words, and because I, I was <laughs> playing the stories over and over in my head all the time when I was. You know, the DVDs and the, and the CDs, they weren't as difficult as what I thought they would be. The more difficult stuff was my clothes. Because of what you said around the films, I thought at any point I could go on Netflix and watch yeah. Sopranos or Ghostbusters or whatever it was that were my favourites. But at the time, I really needed the money. So it was almost like, what's the lesser of two evils here? But yeah, I, I, I piled a load of clothes on my bed and that's when I thought, oh dear, this is going to get more difficult. And for those of you who, you know, listen listeners who are sports fans you know again showing your passion and your almost your 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 status in fandom to your team by collecting your kits over the years or the merch that's where I really struggled because similar to your your story about when you're DJing and letting go of that status I also had that I also had that with football because I love playing football but you know as you get older you get more injuries and you know, life moves on and your mates are not playing football anymore and I'd wanted to play kind of but by letting go of the kits meant that in my head I thought if I get rid of the kits it means I can't play football anymore uh-huh. so I'll keep these just in case I ever get there's a ball knocking around or I'm walking across, walking across a park and a bunch of kids <laughs> hoof, hoof a ball in my direction and I can bring it down on my chest and play a nice pass <laughs> and, then, and so all of these kind of weird kind of scenarios started playing in my head and there's negative ones too you know thinking about oh if I get rid of this then I'm going to feel at a loss or I'm going to feel stupid because mm. what if I need to buy the thing again yeah I think I had that when we were moving not so much with the DVDs but with everything it was like oh well we maybe we don't need it but actually what happens if xyz happens and then we need to go out and buy it we're just spending more money so yeah I think that that certainly has a lot uh, to resonate with in terms of the just in case you're always thinking the worst case yeah. scenario don't you yeah, exactly. You know, and I'd, I'd kind of um, seesaw between worst case scenario and there's going to be something really good just around the corner. So I'm going to need this pair, these pair of shorts <laughs> because when the perfect, perfect weather, perfect situation, perfect invitation to a barbecue, I'm going to wear these shorts. <laughs> and it's almost like, oh, you know, and, but then you never, you, that, all those things never happen. So yeah, it was you know, just in case almost rose in prominence to me and that's that's a lot of the uh, the stumbling block that i i talk to with with people who i coach about decluttering and you know the just in case is a is a uh, is a fine line <laughs> the thing that also uh, stuck out to me is a lot of the things we've been discussing so far are physical you know items and possessions but you also talk a lot about digital decluttering as well within the book which i found really interesting because actually it's not just the physical things you've got around you because we live in such a digital age there's also a lot of stuff that we've got stored in the cloud, if you like, that probably needs going through as well. Yeah, I mean, the, we're we're in the information age, right? Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's difficult to defend your time to not be thrown 
advertisements, you know, to not feel like you're, you you need the, the urge to scroll. So digital decluttering became a thing for me, like later after I'd almost conquered this physical, the material possessions in my life, I then realised that I just well, I was just spending the time on my phone instead of doing what I wanted to do initially, which was redesign my life, do more things, go out, travel more, experience more, change careers, etc. And most of the time I was looking on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook and it was just absolute crap. And I was just scrolling. But what was I looking for? I didn't really know. Just <laughs> It was just to waste time. <laughs> and so I ended up just deleting accounts and unfollowing friends who we've almost sort of picked up on Facebook and never, never met in real life. And, and so it wasn't a case of me deleting apps although i do do that as an experiment when i go out and do speaking engagements in companies that's one of the things i do and i ask everyone to delete an app um it was more of a case of again redesigning my relationship with technology and so if i'm going to go on linkedin for example i want to know that the things i look at add value to my time because my time is precious same with all of us and so i unconnected with probably 75% of the people that I'd been connected with in the past because all that was was just a view into the past of a shitty old job that I wanted to leave. And so I reconnected with, or I connected with people that I, you know, was motivated by, who I aspired to be like. And all of a sudden, my timeline became a view of great ideas and thought leaders and things like that. And similar to, to Twitter, it was all full of negative bullshit. Um, gambling accounts, alien invasion conspiracies. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've got to re redesign it. And so I just followed more positive people and more fun things that I was interested in. So, um, so yeah, so my experience of tech and using social media and emails and all that type of stuff has been refined and almost um, is quite, you know, economic now. So, you know, the time that I spend on my phone or on my laptop is good time. Do you use any of those sort of screen time? You know, they've got the things built in on the phones where you can limit how much time you spend on the phone and it shuts itself off. Do you use those at all? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I've just given Not you an yet, idea, haven't I? I think I think that's book, book two. <laughs> well, you bought the book up and that's good because I was going to move on back onto the book. Of course, everything we've spoken about so far all leads into your brand new book, Discovery of Less, How I Found Everything I Wanted Underneath Everything I Owned, which is out now. What prompted the decision to write the book? Someone said you should write a book. And I went, nah, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Had you ever written anything before? I wrote articles, and um, but never to that length. But that was something, James, that um, I had these stories in my head. So when we talk about decluttering, then we also have our belief system as well, right? So we, we have a load of stories and truths that we've created over the years that what we can and can't do. And most of them are, are bullshit. And one of the things I had in my head that was I could never write a book because I failed English and I didn't think that I spoke proper. So how could I write eloquently and, you know, line by line and tell stories? But I was going on stage and talking about this journey and then what i want a, a friend she said to me oh um you should write a book about this and i went no no that's no i can't because and then you start making up these excuses start layering up the, com the comfort zone you know because it's comfy in the comfort zone right Absolutely. and then more and more people started to say it and, and then i thought oh, maybe they're onto something here enough and, and i got through the first draft in about six months and i was like oh fuck me that was easy no that's a joke it wasn't <laughs> No, I'd, I'd written a first draft and gave it to an editor. An editor went there, you've got something here. 
it needs to be refined a bit. Um, but you've this is you know this could be pretty good actually. A few months later, I really learned how to write in a way that was light, airy. It was how I spoke, so it wasn't actually you know if you read the book, that's how I talk pretty much. Um, and and yeah, so having the the support of a professional who'd been there, done it before, alongside the passion and the story, you know that's the end result. And so so yeah, a book has been born. And now I've got all this confidence. Oh, I can do anything in the world now. That's amazing. The one thing I wanted to stress, having read the book, is that it is very much your journey. It's not It's not a self-help book. I don't want people to be confused. You're not telling people how they should or shouldn't be doing things. It's very much your journey. Yeah, exactly, mate. And um, from the outset, I didn't want to have a long list of things that people should do. And like me demanding that you do 10 things today to, uh, you know, to get your miracle morning. Because there's, you know, and that works for some people. I was very, very conscious that, you know, I coach, that's my full-time job. And so as a coach, I ask a lot of questions. I don't give a lot of advice. Uh-huh. And so for me to write, you know, 200 odd pages full of advice, it would feel a little bit uh, disingenuous because well, there's already people out there that you can get advice from. And I always think that, like I said before, we were in the information age. You can go and get a top 10 list. You can go and get advice anywhere in the world at any point but it's about how you use that and how it works with you so it's almost like you can read that book and take on all those stories have a fun time reading it and then decide for yourself is this something that i want to do or is it not is it a little bit here that i fancy giving a go not A couple of questions I ask everybody that comes onto this show. The first one is, if you could go back to your childhood, and actually with you it could be different, because I normally say if you go back to your childhood and rescue something you don't have now, what would it be? But you've given like all your shit away. So if you could yeah. go back to before you decluttered and rescue one thing you sold, was there one thing you sold that you regret selling? No. <laughs> <laughs> Next okay. question. Okay, um, but if, no, okay. Let's let's do let's let's do the normal question. Then, if you could rescue a gift from your childhood, and and have it now, what would it be? Um, none. No, I'm joking. Um, I mean, let's. I mean, I think what I really really liked back in my childhood that um, that I reconnected with briefly before selling them on was WWF wrestling figures. Oh, mate, we have so much in common. <laughs> Are we best friends now? Um, and so I, yeah, I was so, I was massively into wrestling growing up. You know, it was never fake. It was always real. Absolutely. Of uh, it wasn't fake. Uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, over a period of time, maybe from about the late 80s to probably the late 90s, um, my nan had bought me stuff. Uh, I sometimes went to Canada, I've got family in Canada, and sometimes I bought um, wrestling figures from Canada that were not available here. So my brother and I, we would we had 150, 200, and we would, every Saturday afternoon when we were younger, we would do like a huge Royal Rumble, and we would even go to the lengths of recording on video the entrance music. Oh, you guys Getting were invested. Tested. You were invested. Oh, no. I know, right? And then connecting leads to a cassette player and recording them on cassette and having about 
maybe it was like four seconds before the commentator <laughs> talked. And we had four seconds of walking music. So we'd get the tape player, get the wrestler, and then hit play, have four seconds of garbled rock music or whatever, <laughs> run this figure to the wrestling ring, and then, and then just smash them against each other. Um, but I found, I still found some of them in my mum and dad's loft. And I wondered whether or not they would be worth anything. So again, I went onto eBay and I found that some people were still collecting these and I sold one for about 120 pounds. Whoa. I bet you want to know which one though, Ned James. Which one? Which one was it? Now this is a niche. Adam Bomb. I'm not even going to pretend I know who that is, mate. That, <laughs> that, that is really niche. He, was, he must yeah. have been before my time. Yeah, so Adam Bomb uh, was a, a character that had appeared for maybe less than a year. Didn't do many, but they clearly put a figure out, and yeah. um, I didn't didn't realize I didn't even realize I had it. But the good thing is now I know that someone's getting, you know, they've maybe added that to their spare room, their collection, their display, their museum, their personal museum of wrestling figures. So I know that that's getting loved. Um, so yeah, if there was anything, anything that had sentimental value attached to it, it was those. And my final question is if you could go right back to the beginning and give yourself a gift to help to get where you are now, what gift would you give yourself? The gift of not giving a shit. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Writing a book, being a, a speaker, being a coach, all these things were aspirations years ago. I thought, oh, I'm not good enough, not skilled enough, not talented enough because of how I perceived myself in society and, and things like that. And I know it's a little bit deep. It's probably not what you're looking for. We're probably looking for a yard of ale. Um <laughs> But no, it was, uh, yeah, the bravery, the courage to ask questions. And where can people find out more about you, what you do, and of course the book as well? Yeah, so Less Is Progress is the, uh, is the website, lessisprogress.com. You can get loads of free stuff. There's some articles I wrote about decluttering and how to uh, almost declutter your personal and professional life to help you be a little bit more successful because we're all overworked at the moment. So let's do a bit less discovery of less the book you can get in any online retailer um you know so generally most people go to amazon but if you don't like amazon um you can get it anywhere else waterstones goodreads barnes and noble ebay if you want i'm sure some people have read it and then stuck it straight on ebay afterwards um which is great i encourage you know if it's cluttering up your home after you've read it get rid of it um yeah, LinkedIn, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm all there. Just look for Chris Lovett and the guy with the big hair. Plus, I'm on all the other socials, you know. Um, just look for look for Chris Lovett, look for big hair, and, um, and look forward to connecting with you. Fantastic. Chris, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Oh, James, it's been a pleasure, mate. I look forward to chatting more about our wrestling memories. Thanks again for listening to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast service to make sure you never miss another episode. You can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at Bad Gifts Pod, as well as online at badgiftspod.com. <laughs>